Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, listeners. It is the first Thursday of December, and I am Kate Gibson. Welcome to the bookcase. And I'm Charlie Gibson, and I'm still here on the first (laughs) Thursday in December. We've got our date straight. And I want to explain a little bit because this podcast will be different than anything we've done in the past. But when we started this Mm. more than a year and a half ago, we wanted to excite people, more people about reading and books that we have found and loved. But there was another thing that we talked a lot about, which is getting kids to read. It is one of the sad realities of our life that you walk into a restaurant these days and you'll see a family, all four, on their phones and kids are on their electronic devices more and more. One of the statistics that I quote in this podcast is that studies have shown that young people spend an average of 16 minutes a day reading for pleasure. They spend more than six hours a day, six hours a day, on their digital devices. So how can you get their eyes off the screens and onto a page? You know, it feels as if over the last two decades, reading books for kids has become like eating their vegetables. And boy, oh boy, does that miss the point. Reading for pleasure is one of the great joys of my life. There's nothing I like more than to look at my evening and go, I have nothing to do tonight. I'm going to sit down and read. That to me is looking at a truly joyous evening and my daughter looks at it the same way. I worked hard to raise a reader. I'm still working on my son. He's younger. Well, he's five. He's five. You can't he's expect five. him. You can't expect him to be reading War and Peace at that well, age. But. No, but last <laughs> night we read, you know, Dinosaurs First Christmas and Dinosaurs First Hanukkah because apparently those holidays were big in prehistoric times. But, um, you know, we really, we really, as a, I mean, in my house, you do not go to bed without having read a book. And for parents out there, my day ends with my daughter and I sitting next to each other in bed reading. And the other day we got to talking about horror books. And then we started talking about Shirley Jackson and why Shirley Jackson was interesting. It's not just the pleasure of reading, the pleasure of escape, the magic of worlds open to you. It's a great communication line with your kids. I treasure those conversations as much as any conversation I think we've ever had. I love those moments. And it's sort of reading 101 to say that you need to read to your kids. That's kind of an axiom. It's a given and people should do it. People should do it. We quote the statistic that we read somewhere that 61% of low-income families don't have any books in the house, so it's not possible. But you can go to the library. Everybody says, go to the library. But then how do you transition from reading to the kid to getting the kid to read themselves? And that's the critical part. How do you wean them away from those games on the phone? So where do you go? Where do you go to get advice on that? Well, we went to the Fred Rogers Institute at St. Vincent's College in Pennsylvania. And we talked to Emma Lee, who is one of the uh, executives of the Fred Rogers Institute. You may remember Fred. You may have heard of Fred. Oh. Fred being one of the earliest and loudest and most beloved advocates of getting children to read on the planet. He began this institute at St. Vincent's partially to 
get kids excited about reading. It is one of their huge initiatives. And Emily makes the point that the Fred Rogers Institute works with the people who are the caregivers. They work with the parents. They work with the teachers. They work with the librarians. It is our responsibility as adults to get the kids to read. And so that's with whom they work, as you'll hear. Then we also went and talked to Kate DiCamillo, who has won every award there is to win for writing children's books. And Kate met with her at a bookstore in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we had some kids there, including Kate's daughter, Charlie. And the kids asked her questions and she read to them. And Kate talked to her about her philosophies about how you get kids to read. And so we've got several practical suggestions in all this that we'll sort of recap at the end, but you'll hear them as we go through the interviews. And these are things we hope, we hope people will take to heart and use as a way to get more kids to read and to read more. So let's start with Emily from the Fred Rogers Institute at St. Vincent's College. Emily, Associate Director of the Fred Rogers Institute. We're so excited to be talking to you. You guys have an incredible history in literacy programs, getting kids excited about reading. So you're experts in the field. As a parent, I know that the first thing I heard was the second you bring a kid home, start reading aloud, start reading aloud, start reading aloud, that that is vital. But what exactly does reading aloud do? What does it accomplish scientifically that's so important? For starters, especially when they're a newborn and you're at home reading and talking aloud, it's that connection. You're building a relationship. You're letting this brand new person know that, hey, these are words. This is language. This is how we communicate and connect with each other. So especially at the start, that's what it does. And pre-literacy skills are about building up language. You can't really read until you have language. There have been a lot of studies over the years showing that the more that children are spoken to and engaged with, the more you learn words, the more you're able to then read those words. It's hard to read a sentence about a giraffe if you don't know what a giraffe is. So context that you're providing in early childhood is what helps someone then be able to read and interpret what's on the page. And in terms of payoff, I mean, my goodness, there is certainly a lot of research about the way that that proceeds throughout their school years and being able to learn. But also, I think the payoff of being able to explore the world through reading is tremendous. You know, we at the Fred Rogers Institute focus on Fred's approach to to reading and, and learning to read. And it was so much more about learning to love books. Fred modeled that on his show all the time. He would pull out books and say, I just, I just love to read. Can I read this book to you? And that was an engagement. And he was showing children, look, this is a special thing you can do. So the relationship that can form between a caregiver and a child reading together, the discovery they can have looking into books, that's what we like to focus on a lot. You know, obviously you mentioned your founder, Fred Rogers, beloved in every way possible, but he's been involved in getting kids excited to read and literacy advocacy from the very, very early days. Talk to me a little bit, if you could, about Fred Rogers and the Fred Rogers Institute and your history of advocacy and getting kids excited about books. Sure. Yeah. So at the Fred Rogers Institute, we actually focus on the helpers. So Fred, the, the popular quote that is circulated regularly on social media is Fred's quote about looking for the helpers. And so we focus on the helpers, so the educators, the teachers, the social workers, the librarians in a child's life. So we don't provide direct programming for children. We focus on the adults around them. Fred talked a lot about there's a, a world of difference between insisting on someone's doing something and establishing an atmosphere in which they can grow into wanting to do it. And so with mm -hmm. reading, 
parents and caregivers and educators can think about that. Like it's hard to force somebody to read. And that's not really what we want to be doing, right? We want to let children know this is a wonderful thing you can do. And so how can you establish an atmosphere in which reading is accessible and available? Okay, so how do you do it? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Oh, I have a two and four-year-old at home, so I have that experience with it. I think it's a couple things. One is Fred talked a lot about unhurried time. We need unhurried time to be able to lean into something like reading. And so There's so much that we can do in terms of activities for kids. And it's so easy to get overly signed up for everything and have just stuff going on all the time. But protecting some unhurried, quiet time at home or maybe at a library after school is, I think, step one for making sure a child can have time to read. And then I think the very best thing that caregivers can do is let your children see you love reading. Let them see you in a moment of calm. Choose to pick up a book instead of something else. Yes, except so many parents say, okay, I get it. I should be reading to my kid from the time they're in utero and shortly thereafter and onward. But there's a transition that occurs. Kids now get seduced by screens. And we've all seen that. You walk into a restaurant and there's a kid and even the parents in many cases, and they're all on their screens. So how can you counteract that seduction without, as you said, commanding it, requiring it, without being forceful about it, to get the kid to want to put down the screen and put his nose in a book? Well, I would start with what is that child interested in? What would they maybe want to read about? You know, reading is reading. It doesn't matter what format it takes. And so if it's a graphic novel that your your teen would be most excited about, pick that up. And certainly screens are seductive. There's also a lot of reading you can do through your phone. So maybe that's a start. The little incremental steps are what can get you there. And just modeling the love of reading, it won't necessarily be an immediate change. But if you as a parent care a lot about your child loving to read, maybe bring along a book to the restaurant. And when you're tempted to pull out your phone, because we are all so prone to do that. But if you start training yourself that when you have that drive to grab your phone, maybe grab a book, your child will see that. And over time, that will start to influence what they want to do with their free time. Also, Fred said that He talked about the teachers who love what they're doing and love it in front of us. And that's one of the most incredible ways to teach. And so parents, caregivers at home, you are your child's first teacher. You know, it's the the numbers are so frightening with the average teenager reads roughly 16 minutes a day for pleasure and yet spends six hours a day plus on their screens. I read another study where high school students check their phones every six minutes while they're awake. Is the problem intractable or do you think we can turn this around because the amount of time that kids are spending reading is getting less and less every year? Yeah, well, I wanna start with the numbers you broke down, two hours on social media, two hours texting, That's how a teenager connects with their friends. So that time is spent connecting with their peers. And that's essential for development for children of all ages, but especially for teenagers and young adults. And I also absolutely agree that how can we help teenagers break away from that? Because it is so addictive, it does pull you in. And so 
I love your idea of books on phones. And I think if you asked a, a young person what they're looking at on their phone, I wonder if we would be surprised to hear that they actually are reading and it's maybe taking a different format than what we grew up with or typically see when we think about pulling out a book. So I'm a librarian in Omaha, Nebraska. What do I do to get the Fred Rogers Institute to help me? There's a chance for you to do an advertisement. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'll take it. I would love for anyone to visit our website. We have several free um, webinars throughout the year on different topics that we offer to caregivers, educators, anyone who is in front of a child at any time. We come together and talk about Fred's legacy and the broad theories, but we also work really hard to apply it very directly to practice and give a librarian in Omaha the chance to talk to a librarian in New York City and share ideas and figure out what are we doing about this thing that we're both seeing in our very different settings. What does the Fred Rogers Institute say to families that say, I'm sorry, but books just aren't in my budget? How do I raise enthusiastic readers and still get food on the table? Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to have books in your home to raise an enthusiastic reader. Certainly libraries are available, but also schools. Schools have books and school librarians, I'm sure, would love nothing more than to let you bring home some books. You had an interesting conversation with one of our people before you came on about equating reading with other extracurricular activities that I thought was interesting to equate time for reading with time for other things that they may do. I know as a parent myself, there's a pull of wanting to sign our kids up for activities that we know are educational and know are giving them value. Reading can feel quiet, might feel like something small, but I think we have to remind ourselves that it's the opposite of that. And so when we're thinking about what does the week look like for our family and we have soccer and we have dance and also just the rush of going to work and school and back and dinner. And there's so much to fit in. Carving out unhurried, quiet time that might be used for reading. It might be used for crashing on the couch and just decompressing from the day. That's essential for all of us. It's essential for children to be able to incorporate all that they're learning and growing through. It's essential for us as adults to have that quiet and in those quiet moments is when you might be able to pick up a book. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Our conversation with Emily at the Fred Rogers Institute from St. Vincent's College. Before we move on to the amazing Kate DiCamillo, I just want to say one of the things that really stays with me from this conversation with Emily is that she said, you know, when we talked to her about screens, you expect the Fred Rogers Institute to go, yes, screens are evil. But basically what she said is they aren't going away. Let's figure out how to bring the two together. And I thought that was a very pragmatic way of looking at making peace with screens in children's lives. Katie Camillo, as I mentioned earlier, she's won every award that you can win as a children's author. And, and was appointed the National Ambassador for Young People's Literature by the Library of Congress. So she spent two years developing a platform and she talked to kids. Her platform's basic tenant was Stories Connect Us. And she traveled from coast to coast, talking to kids, reading to kids, getting kids excited about reading. And uh, if the Library of Congress says you're the person to do it, then you are the person to do it. (laughs) Well, and the other part is that she writes so well Mm. for the little ones, for the, you know, 8 to 10 to 12, and then for teenagers as well. I think she covers all the bases. We had this moment at the end of the reading for the kids, which you'll hear a little bit more at the end of the show. And for me, it was this perfect moment because one of the kids ended it by going, so what do you got right next? And she said, I'm going to do another Mercy Watson, which is the pig that she writes about for little, little kids. And every kid in the audience went, and then she went, (laughs) and it's called Mercy Watson is missing. And they went, So, I mean, that (laughs) excitement that, you know, there isn't any kid who I think in a couple of months isn't going to turn to their parents and go, is Mercy Watson missing out yet? Because I got to get that. She, yeah, the Mercy Watson books are wonderful. Wonderful. She's magical and she holds kids just like this. Yep. Yep. Kate met with her at St. Paul, Minnesota bookstore, the Red Balloon bookshop. Kate met with her one-on-one and there were a group of kids there. And also Holly Weinkoff, who is the owner of the Red Balloon Books. But let's start with the conversation that Kate had with Kate DiCamillo. You had a tenure for two years as, and I want to get the title right, National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. You were appointed by the Library of Congress. So it was no small deal. Uh, that it was, (laughs) I had to wear a dress. Yeah. (laughs) More than once. Right. 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 More than once. I imagine that you got a lot of questions from parents about how do I get my kid to read? Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's so not only parents, but everybody is and and the answer to me was so obvious that it's just like, wow, look at this. What a privilege. What a gift. You can, and I will tear up talking about this, anywhere in this country, walk into a public library and they will bend over backwards to find the right book for you. Anybody has access to that in this country. It is astonishing. So reading is this huge privilege and it is also a joy. And so when parents are asking for advice about how to make their kids read, that's the first thing I say. And the second thing I say is let them see you 
reading for your own pleasure. Don't say, go off to your room and read for 15 minutes, you know. And also, of course, read aloud. Have them read aloud to you. It's such an amazing way to connect is that reading aloud. Um, it's, it's astonishing. I don't know why it's so powerful, but it is. I heard you give a speech once where you compared being introduced to reading to a glass bottom boat, which I thought was a beautiful metaphor. And yeah. I was wondering if you would share it. Yeah. So I, this occurred to me when I was growing up. I grew up in central Florida, small town in central Florida. And there was this not really an amusement park, but it was called Silver Springs and they had glass bottom boat rides. And you look down and you can see all of this stuff that is absolutely you. It's there and you can't see it without the glass bottom boats. I mean, um, like it's miraculous. And it like occurred to me much later in life that reading is like a glass bottom boat ride. When somebody's reading aloud to you, when they're reading aloud in a classroom, it's just like you're looking at the world together and you can see the world hidden inside of the world that we already know. And you let down your guard, you're together in it. And it's like a, a safe third room, you know? And I've seen it happen again and again. I, I have been deeply privileged to talk to teachers. I try to thank them everywhere I go, those teachers who read aloud in classrooms. And I always think about me as a kid and that I, I was so fortunate. I had a mom who read to me, took me to the library. The house was filled with books. She bought me books. I can remember sitting in my second grade classroom, Mrs. Boyette, every day after lunch, she read aloud to us from a novel every day. I lived for that. And I think, what about the kids that aren't getting it anyplace else? I feel like teachers are doing something that can save a life. First interview that we did was with Oprah and Oprah talked about how difficult it was to find representation in a book that literally eventually she was just reading about brunettes. But I feel like in the last couple of decades, there's been a publishing recognition of diverse voices, authentic voices. And it's been easier for kids to find themselves. I mean, have kids responded? Do you think that's inspired kids to read more? And how important is that representation when kids are looking for something to read? Yeah, it's everything to see yourself in a book. I mean, I think that you need to be able to find yourself in a book. You also need to find out who you can become. And you also need to be able to imagine your way into a world that is totally different than yours. All of those things. And that's what it's like to be seen in a book and to find yourself in a book. You feel liked, you feel loved. I heard you say once, I never judge what children read. Why do you think that's important? Oh, because you're on your own journey. I mean, it's just like, why would I get in the way of your journey? You know, I also am always aware of this is what matters so much to me. I believe it can be life-changing, but it is a passion for me. It doesn't mean that it needs to be your passion and you're not going to, you know, what, what I connect with might not be what you connect with. Any way in is beautiful to me. I would never judge what a kid is reading. 
There was a statistic I read, which is 61% of low-income houses don't have books. And so this gives us a great opportunity to talk about how fantastic libraries are. Yeah, right. What was the role of the library in your life? And what do you say to families that don't have the money for the books? I just knew from a very early age what, that books were what I needed. And my mother certainly facilitated that, but the librarians saw me very clearly too. And one of the defining moments of my life happened in the public library when the head librarian, I was checking out my books, I was like eight or nine years old, and the head librarian came out from behind the counter and spoke to the librarian who was checking me out. And she said, you may waive the four book maximum. Kate is a true reader. Can you imagine? I knew who I was. She confirmed who I was. And uh, it was a huge gift, you know, not only because I could get as many books at a time as I wanted, but because she saw me. That happens again and again in libraries. If things are rough, if you have one adult outside of the home who sees you, for who you are. That's enough to get you through a hard patch of childhood. And librarians do that. They pay so much attention to what you need as a reader. Screens obviously aren't going away. So how do we make it so that screens can be a part of reading initiative? Well, I think it'd be super not to shame people for reading on a screen just the same way that somebody said to me the other day, oh, you would say this doesn't count listening to a book. And I, I said, I would never say that. Of course it counts. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of and I remember when, you know, everything became screens and then the big thing was like, oh, no, books were going to go away, however long this was. And so every time I was in front of a group of people, people would say, what's going to happen? It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I can tell you about a friend of mine who went to Italy recently, loaded up the Kindle with 30 books. And when she got back, she bought the books that she loved in physical form. So what's the cutoff age for reading aloud? When do kids get too old for it? Never. It's funny because during the pandemic, I heard from so many teachers who wrote letters. It just, it proves this very point that, you know, they would be reading aloud to their third grade class over Zoom during the pandemic. And slowly the other kids in the household, the sixth grader, the high schooler, they could see them come in and listen. I, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to a room full of kids and adults, I'll say to the kids, go home and read to your adult. You know, we all need it. And if you, as a parent, like to think about like you're cooking dinner and your kid is reading to you, it's the best. What a gift. Stephen King, those were his first audiobooks. He would pay his kids $5 a cassette and they would take a recorder and they would just record unabridged whatever and he would listen to them on road trips. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. It is the best. The magic of it never goes away. I mean, that's, I think it speaks to something very ancient in us. You know, we, we need story. My conversation with Katie Camillo, who I fall more deeply in love with every time we speak, uh, <laughs> she just has an understanding of children and children's literature that is just, I don't know. I, when I'm with her, I feel I'm seduced by the magic of Katie Camillo. I love her. And this was a great conversation. Well, when you called me after you'd done the, uh, the piece with her at the bookshop, you said, 
she had that group of kids that we brought together in the palm of her hand. She did. And she is, uh, well, she's magic in that way. Mm. So one of the other things Kate did, I know you talked to the owner of the bookshop, right? Yeah. I mean, the Red Balloon has been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, the Red Balloon bookshop was around before Holly Weinkoff, its current owner, bought it. But she is an expert in getting kids to read. The Red Balloon Bookshop is an institution in St. Paul. And so I wanted to talk to somebody who really does have to draw those kids in when they walk in the front door. And so I wanted to talk to her about how she did it and how she creates readers out of the kids in her community. So here it is, my conversation with Holly Weinkoff. So you've been at this at the Red Balloon since 2011. A lot of parents must ask you, what do you do to get kids to read? What do you answer them? I think one of the things that's important to remember in getting kids to read is that they need to enjoy it. So helping them to find books that they enjoy, find mm-hmm. what they're interested in. It's also great, too, to make it an experience. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we do here at the store a lot is have authors come in, and that creates a really fun experience for kids. What is your approach when you see a new customer? How well, do yeah. you sort of gauge the Sure, thing? sure. Yeah, well, that's what we do all day here at Red Balloon. But when somebody comes in the store, we'll talk to them, and when it's Grownups, adults coming in with kids, we like to talk to the kids because we want to hear what they're interested in, what they like reading, something that they recently read that they like. And then we can think about things to to make connections from there. All right. So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate. So you I'm a kid and I come in and I say, I don't like to read. And you say, what have you liked in the past? You say, I don't like to read. I mean, how do you how do you approach a reluctant reader? Is there mm. a one size fits all yeah. that you can generally count on? So instead of asking what books, yeah. then I would go to well, well, what are some what are some things you enjoy? Mm-hmm. What what do you like doing? Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody who enjoys sports, then I might say, well, let, let's come over here mm-hmm. and and see what's on this shelf. Mm-hmm. If it's somebody who is really reluctant, I might pull out. There are so many cool information books. And I think sometimes as booksellers, we default to thinking of fiction Mm -hmm. when we're thinking Mm -hmm. of recommending books. Mm -hmm. So we try to remind ourselves that there is so much good nonfiction out there for kids. So sometimes pulling out a few of those books that have bits of interesting facts, quirky facts, weird facts, weird animals, (laughs) all of that. Graphic novels and comics and manga, they used to be sort of bastard stepchildren at bookstores, but now they're really Oh, yeah, yeah. And our our sections have expanded now. You know, we used to have one section for kids. Now we have multiple because now there's like a beginning graphic novel section. So for those young kids who are just starting out, those can be terrific. So, So keeping in mind that there's a huge variety of kinds of books and offering those. Also thinking about, too, where where the books where kids might see themselves Mm. and making sure we're offering those to the kids who walk through the door Mm. is so important. Uh, We hope that some of these suggestions uh, have taken hold in your head and that maybe uh, it'll be practical for for those of you who are listening who have kids who who you want to get reading more. So let Kate tell you about uh, who's responsible for this podcast, Good People All. And then Kate, since uh, we don't have a coda from either Emma or Kate D. Camilla, why don't you give us a little coda after you tell us who made this podcast possible? The Bookcase is a production of ABC Audio in partnership with Good Morning America. It is produced by David Canada in conjunction with Surecam Productions. Asal Esanapur is our producer. Laura Mayer and Simone Swink are our executive producers. 
We give special thanks to Taylor Rhodes, Amanda McMaster, and Sarah Russell of Good Morning America, and Josh Cohan, Nania McLean, Vika Aronson, and Brenda Salinas Baker at ABC Audio. And my code is going to be parents. There are always moments where we need kids to be busy so we can do our own thing. For me, a book works as well as a screen. Give it a shot. You may meet with some resistance, but they'll thank you for it in the end. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.